So we're in the middle, not even in the middle, at the, at the tail end. We're, we're in the final home stretch of a series through the book of Ephesians. The overview of Ephesians is really, really excellent. It's, it teaches us something about the Christian life in and of itself. Ephesians has six chapters. So it's a fairly short book in the New Testament written by Paul to a cluster of churches in the Ephesus area and in the region. The first three chapters are Paul outlining what God has done for us. Outside of our effort, outside of our striving, outside of our own uh, moral or religious performance, he talks about who we are, where we are, what we have in Christ. Then, in chapters 4, 5, and 6, Paul turns his attention to kind of how now should we live. If this is what God has done for us, if this, is, if this is where we are, we are now in Christ and in Ephesus, or in Christ and in Nelson, and we have access to these spiritual resources with this mission, how should we live? And he begins to drill down in very concrete ways into everyday human relationships and interactions within the church, within the home, within the business community. And then moving into verses 10 and 17 of chapter 6, uh, which is a fairly famous section of scripture, if you've spent any amount of time in the church, he is really kind of to summarize all of his uh, uh, teachings to the church by saying, now we've got to put together a battle plan. This is the final push, and here we go. This is what I want to leave you with. And so this is a battle cry for followers of Jesus. I'm just going to read verses 10 to 13. He says, finally, so this is his, his final uh, kind of charge to them. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. So last week I highlighted, you know, at least five things that this passage really makes clear to every single Christian. The Christian life is warfare. I mean, that's the whole point of that passage. But then specifically in verse 12, he talks about our struggle or our wrestling, our grappling, this fight that we're in. So the Christian life is warfare. You need God's power. You have a part to play. He calls them to put on the armor of God. He calls them to know who your real enemy is, and what the strategies of that enemy against you are. So don't go into the war ignorant of the strategies of the enemy. And he ends with the conviction that you will overcome if you stand firm in Christ. So those are the five things. I want to drill down in, uh, first into the first one a little bit and talk about some things I didn't get a chance to share last week. The Christian life is warfare. We spent a, a fair amount of time on that last week. What is our struggle? What is this grappling? What is our wrestling? It's just living the Christian life individually, together, as families, as communities, as people. Paul wants the Ephesians to understand that their default setting of their life should not be the expectation that now that God has saved them and delivered them out of the domain of darkness and into the dominion of light, life will just sort of keep unfolding and progress with progressive ease and comfort. That is not what he's setting them up to understand. He's saying, finally, after all of this, I want you to understand that you should kind of steel yourselves to understand that one of the most helpful metaphors that will help you to make sense of the Christian life is that you're entering a battle. 
there's going to be resistance and opposition. As you try and live obediently to Jesus, as you try and live as ambassadors of, of Christ, as you try and be light in an age of darkness and live lives that please God, that is going to feel and be experienced on the ground level as very, very challenging. And that means that ease and comfort are not the norm of the Christian life. And maybe some of us want that to be the case. Maybe we pray in different ways for God's ease and comfort. But that is not the norm of the Christian life. So we shouldn't feel betrayed by God when we go through long stretches of life or feel like we're fighting a battle in certain areas and we're not experiencing a lot of ease and comfort. We shouldn't feel betrayed by God because God, on his end, is being very honest with us. You've been conscripted into the Salvation Army to overcome evil with good, but there is evil in the world. There are forces that will act against you consistently on the level of the individual, again, family, marriage, and your workplace. Whenever you move towards seeking to live a life that a little bit more is a little bit more aligned to honoring God, resistance should be what you expect. Ease and comfort are not the norm of the Christian life. Peace and power and purpose in the midst of struggle, that is the norm of the Christian life. Not that God will always deliver us from struggle, but that God will give us peace and power and purpose in the midst of it. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. God prepares a table before me. Where? In the midst of my enemies. It's not the Lord is my shepherd. He took me out of all these struggles and he just put me up in a mansion way up over there with a wall around it and now I'm uh, sequestered and I, he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. The threat is still around me, but I have a supernatural peace because his rod and his staff, they comfort me. As I teach through this passage, I also want to interact with questions that I'm getting that are arising in my own heart that are coming from people who are emailing me or texting me. And this passage is leading us to understand that there are spiritual forces that are real. And while the mechanism and the precise nature of them aren't, you know, Scripture doesn't drill down into that level of detail, the thrust of the passage is very clear. There are spiritual forces, spiritual forces that are anti-God, anti-God's purposes, anti-God's people, anti-the church, that are marshaled against us and we should expect to encounter that as we move through life in our everyday lives. One of the questions that first came up in my own life a number of years ago when I was beginning to study spiritual warfare, but someone else submitted, was, okay, if I kind of read verses 10 to 17 right, does this mean that all of our struggles and all of our hardships and all the suffering that we face are caused by spiritual warfare or spiritual forces? Is that kind of the point of the passage? And that's a really, really good question. And last week I talked about two extremes that I think you always want to be careful of as it relates to spiritual forces and what the Bible teaches about them. The first is overestimating or exaggerating the demonic powers and influences that are at work in the world. Sometimes when you listen to some preachers or teachers of Scripture talk, 
They talk as if the world is filled with demons. There's a demon behind every bush. Every bad thing that happens is a spiritual attack. And this is why it's important to not just be reading select verses of the Bible like this, but the whole thing, and especially the whole New Testament. Demonic, anti-God, spiritual forces, in terms of the overall, they don't get a huge amount of airtime in Scripture. They're acknowledged. God's people are warned about them. But they don't come up in every single letter, in every single situation. They're real. But we want to be careful not to over-exaggerate their influence in day-to-day lives. But we also want to be careful not to underestimate or dismiss the possibility that the struggles or hardships or suffering that we're going through is because of demonic influence of some kind. I think that's just as dangerous to either demythologize them away and say, oh, that's just silly, or they just... The biblical writers were using demons to really refer to just something that we might have now identified as this, or it was more like superstition, and we kind of... I don't know. We've kind of evolved past that. We've kind of matured beyond an understanding that there are like literal demons running around that want to influence people. I think that's dangerous. If you believe in God, what you're saying is I believe in a benevolent gracious spiritual entity that is for me and that is empowering my life towards certain ends and if that being says there are anti-forces that are against me and against my purposes in your life i'm not sure how wise that is to simply dismiss it so we want to be careful of exaggerating the influence of the demonic but also underestimating or simply dismissing that as a potential factor when we go through evil or hardship or struggle And so we want to avoid the temptation, and I think it is a temptation in some Christian circles, to ascribe all suffering or hardship with, oh, this is a spiritual attack. This is definitely like the work of the devil, the enemy, demons. But we also want to avoid the temptation to ignore demonic influence as a possible factor of what we're walking through. And and this is where the Christian life becomes really nuanced, and we need a lot of wisdom and discernment, because a misdiagnosis of the problem can lead to a very, very inaccurate and ineffective solution, right? So let's use an example. Let's say for weeks or months at a time, you have been genuinely struggling with some combination, and they tend to cluster around each other, of apathy, depression, despair. You might be tempted to look at your situation to the genuine, overwhelming sense that this is pressing in on your mind and on your heart. You're apathetic. You're despondent. You just can't seem to reconnect in ways that matter to God or to his purposes for you in the world. And you might say, it's a spiritual attack. And so you invest all kinds of energy and time in learning about spiritual warfare, learning certain kinds of prayers, um, new kinds of prayers, prayers that are specifically targeted to um, highlight, the, highlight and confront the influence of the demonic in your life. You can script other people to pray for you. You're doubling down on that strategy even when it gets worse. You keep going, no, this is a spiritual attack. I know this is the enemy fighting against me. But while that's happening, you are neglecting building good sleep habits. You are not being careful about what you put in your body. You are not taking care of yourself in terms of getting exercise. You're not going to see the doctor to see if your iron is low or if there is a chemical imbalance. 
Maybe you're not processing resentment that has been festering in your heart for a long time or unforgiveness that is eating away at you. And so you feel like you're on the ground level battling apathy and depression and despair at the level of spiritual warfare, and that might be the case. But we are very complex creatures, and we shouldn't be surprised to learn the Bible teaches us that there are many factors that sometimes are at play, that are nested together, that are overlapping and interlocking when it comes to understanding why we're going through certain hardship in our lives. We are complex, and the causes of our issues are often complex. There's an old um, Puritan pastor uh, I heard about through a sermon named Richard uh, Baxton, and he identified, this is back, mm, this is uh, 18th century, so 1740s, I believe. At that time, he identified four possible sources for the problems that we face. He said the sources of our suffering or problems could be at the level of the physical, the psychological, the moral, or the demonic, or some combination of all of them. He said it could be on the level of the physical. You might just be suffering because you're getting insufficient rest. You're not taking proper care of yourself. Um, Poor nutrition, right? You might be like Elijah in 1 Kings 19, where Elijah's on the run from the king. He goes to God, and he says, God, I'm despairing of life. I just want my life to be over. I I I can't do this anymore. He's ready to literally give up on life. Does anyone remember what God does? Let's him sleep and eat. Elijah, just have a snack, take a nap. It's going to be okay. I got you. Gives him bread, gives him water, lets him sleep. Then God comes back and kind of resets. Was Elijah under spiritual attack? Yeah, in some ways you could say maybe. But the root cause was just exhaustion and not taking care of himself physically. And then once that was addressed, God could begin to move him forward into faithfulness, and he strengthened him that way. Psychological. And Baxter here uses psychological to kind of serve as an umbrella term for social support. Um, Maybe we're isolated. We're, We're dealing with things that are beyond our capacity, right? Moses in Exodus 18 feels overwhelmed with the responsibilities He's having to judge and evaluate all the issues as the people of Israel bring them to him. And then Jethro says, the work is just too much for you. He's not really under spiritual attack. It's just he's taken on too much. So we need to get a team of people around you who who can help lighten the burden. You've just, you've overrun your capacity to hold all of these together. You need a team of people around you. Sometimes the roots of our suffering are moral in nature. We've chosen not to forgive someone. We're living with guilt and shame, right? Psalm 51, when David gets confronted about his sin of bloodshed and betrayal, he says, God, cleanse me from the guilt of my bloodshed. I want to be free from this. He's, He's been laboring under this recognition that I have unconfessed sin before God. And it's all kinds of ways that was bubbling up and over into his life. And then, yes, Baxter says there are times where the influence is directly rooted in the demonic, in the lies and slander of the devil. Satan has tempted us to believe things that aren't true about God, aren't aren't true about ourselves, aren't true about our particular situation. And we've kind of given power over to those lies. 
there's obvious demonic possessions in the New Testament. As Jesus draws near, as the kingdom of God draws near, the activity of the enemy also increases. And I would actually say these are just four factors. I would say there's more than that. I listed it a few others that I could think of at the top of my head. But I think the point is the same. It's not wise to immediately attribute hardship in our life with any one thing reflexively. And unfortunately, some churches tend to do this, right? When someone's going through a hard time or they're struggling, there are some churches who just say, well, yeah, you just need to get some rest. You just need to take better care of yourself, do some more self-care and look for ways to strengthen yourself on that level. Maybe. Churches, well, you're, you're just not in the word enough. You got, you got to, you know, you got to get in the Bible like every day and be praying every day. You just need to pray more. You need to get into your Bible more, right? You need to be, you're under spiritual attack. You, ju- you just got to be doing this. This is what you got to be doing. I know the book you need to read. I know the process you need to go through. Uh, again, you just need to be careful about what you're putting in your body. You need, you need to go vegan. Wrong. Never the right answer, right? <laughs> Never. I'm not saying that it's a sin to be a vegetarian. I've, I'm very, very loving towards uh, vegans and vegetarians. But never come to me and say, Jeff, that is the cause of the struggles in your life. My life verse is Acts 10, right? Peter's vision where God says, rise, kill, and eat. I'm like, amen. <laughs> amen. Put that over the door frames of my house. My point is, if you diagnose the problem incorrectly, your solution will be ineffective, however well-intended it is and however sincere it is. Which leads to the question, okay, so how do I determine the cause of what I'm going through? I know some of your stories. I know some of the things that some of you are walking through right now. And I believe that God wants to come along and help and support you through that. So how do you know which of these levels or what interplay between them, what's going on so that you can address it effectively. And here's actually my advice, and it might sound, I don't know how it'll sound. I'm just really convinced this is the wisest way to approach things. When you're moving through a time where you are experiencing consistent and persistent opposition and resistance, and it just feels like it's very difficult to build positive godly moments in a particular area of your life. My advice is stop trying to figure out what the one thing is that is causing it. Because often there are many different factors at play. And I look at my life and I can say, I have wasted, and that is an honest word, I have wasted a lot of time trying to come up with the precise diagnosis before I move on to next steps. It was well-intended, but I've also realized I am incredibly bad at self-diagnosis. And so generally speaking, what I do myself and I commend to you for a practice is pause and pray, ask God for help, then take some kind of an inventory. I don't care how you do the inventory, I would use heart, soul, mind, and strength. I talk about that as a model for discipleship. But you can do that as a way to just kind of very quickly take kind of a scan holistically of your life before God. So on the level of heart, thinking through how are my friendships doing, sense of community, um, 
counseling, soul might be prayer. Um, what's my engagement with social media like? That can have a huge impact on many things spiritually. The mind, what are scriptural truths that I need to be leaning into more potentially? Um, what are lies and slander of the enemy that I need to be aware of that might be at work in my life? And, and strength, nutrition, exercise, rest, maybe going to see a medical professional, likely going to see a medical professional. And so I just kind of, I pause and pray, and I just take a basic inventory of how I'm doing in those areas. Are there any blind spots? Are there any deficits? Are there any clear areas where I'm like, I'm not doing anything here at all? But instead of trying to figure out, oh, I wonder if it's a prayer issue. I wonder if it's a chemical imbalance. I wonder if it's a social isolation issue. I just say, something's up. Something's not right. God, I need your help. How can I put as many, what, how many, how can I take one step forward in all of these areas that will move me towards greater spiritual health and vibrancy? Now, after I make this list, I might have no idea what still is lying at the root of the anxiety that I'm currently experiencing. I still might not understand it. I might not understand what's the root cause of this anger that is eating me up or this blockage between me and a spouse or a coworker or just people in general. But I, I don't need to figure all of that out at this point. What I need to do is to take it seriously and address it through as many dimensions as possible. Now I know we love silver bullets. And so, and I love silver bullets in my life across the board. So often when I've had hard things happen to me, what I think is, okay, what's the quickest way to get through this? I just need to figure it out. What's the cause? There it is. It's spiritual warfare. I need to learn to pray this way, pray that way. Boom, done. I can move on. But rarely do silver bullets fix serious problems that we walk through. Because even if the problem started from one simple factor, as it's compounded over days and weeks and months and maybe years, maybe even decades, it gets intertwined with all kinds of other sub-issues and dysfunctions and uh, immaturities and inconsistencies and sinful tendencies. And there are times where it's just a nest of issues where, you know, it's like the Christmas tree uh, lights, right? When you take them out at Christmas and it's just a big ball. And you're like, oh, I don't even know how to begin untangling this. But sometimes we don't need to start at that level. We just need to say, God, this is a big mess. And I just need your help in making things right. But often looking for a silver bullet, the one thing that's just going to make everything better very quickly, I don't think that's a wise posture. That has not worked for me. Maybe it's worked for you in some context. Praise be to God. And I mean that sincerely if it has. But in general for me, it has not worked most of the time. I need to turn the entire situation over to God and learn to commit to a holistic discipleship plan of engagement. If it's a big enough thing that I have to be all hands on deck and not just pray, not just read the Bible, not just connect with other people, not just ask them for prayer, not just begin to take better care of myself, I need to be doing all of these things a little bit at a time. Think about an example in your own life or some common examples, whether it's I'm Let's just take struggling with a um, repetitive habit or addiction or behavioral pattern, thought pattern, right? Whether it's pornography or gossip um, or overspending. How do we confront 
that pattern in our lives? How do we know what's causing it? How do we deal with it? Should we find an accountability partner? Should we pray about it? Like, really spend time praying and fasting about it? Should we get counseling? Should we limit our access to technology or eliminate it altogether or eliminate entry points where that habit seems to show up and have a very strong correlation between when I put myself in this situation, this tends to be the outcome. Do I need to take advantage of programs like Freedom Session that help walk me through ways of confronting those patterns in my life and asking for God's help? Do I need to engage in a, in a Bible study on the top, really understand the promises of God for that, against those things, uh, deepen my scriptural understanding? Do I need to take up a new hobby? Do I need to exercise more? Yes. Yes. What's the alternative? Are you just going to cycle through each of, one of, each of those things for years, figuring out, oh, what's the one thing? I don't think that's fruitful. I think God will honor your request to say, God, this is a mess. I don't want it to be a mess. I want to live for you. I want to be free from this. I want to be able to move in this direction. Will you help me? And then say, as a disciple, what can I do to take a step of spiritual health in all of these areas? I might not be able to go take a step from one to five. It might just be a step from zero to one. It might be a very small step. That's okay. God will honor our progressive steps towards faithfulness. But the answer often doesn't lie in one of those things. It lies in a comprehensive commitment to say, I'm going to turn this over to God and try and learn what it means to walk in newness of life and in righteousness across the board, which will include maybe asking people to pray and praying myself against any spiritual forces which might be at play in the struggle that I'm having. Now, I want to say something really quick here about deliverance ministries. There are ministries out there that will try and sell you on silver bullets and quick fixes, and usually they're framed around the importance of prayer or specific kinds of prayer or specific kinds of people who have access to a particular kind of deliverance power prayer. And they hold out the hope of deliverance from any and all oppression or resistance in one's life. They often charge a lot of money in order for you to access them. At best, these are ministries that are led by genuine people for whom this particular mode of health and spiritual vibrancy, let's say prayer, has been helpful for them personally. They want other people to find freedom in Christ. But because their programs tend to not be holistic, they tend to reduce the problem down to prayer or deliverance, a particular deliverance process. They often don't deliver on promises. At worst, these are ministries that exploit people who are suffering and are really desperate for relief and are looking for that silver bullet because they've been walking through these waters for months or years or decades. And I want to be very, I want this to be very, very clear. I am not against people seeking deliverance from severe suffering and hardship. I am not against people seeking freedom in Christ. I'm not a spiritual masochist who thinks that the way we glorify God is to always be absorbing hardship and suffering and carrying our cross for Jesus, and that somehow makes us spiritual giants. I don't believe that. I don't think that looking for suffering or inviting it into our lives or not confronting it should be seen as a kind of spiritual badge of holiness. I'm not against deliverance. I'm against 
deliverance ministries because I believe Christianity itself is a deliverance ministry. Like, do you see the distinction there? There's like Christianity, but then there's like a sub thing where it's like you learn to walk in freedom. That's what Christianity is. As I amend my entire life slowly, with God's help, heart, soul, mind, and strength, physical, emotional, spiritual, as I'm learning to amend my life around Jesus, seek first the kingdom of God, I experience more and more deliverance from the power of sin and death. As I amend my life around Jesus and his priorities, I find myself living into greater freedom. And that's available to any Christian because of what Paul talks about in Ephesians 1 to 3. You have this in Christ. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is now at work in you. You don't need to go to someone else and pay thousands of dollars for a special kind of healing process. Just gather the people around your church and pray. But also, have a snack, take a nap. Right? Put down social media for a month. Start putting better fluid into your body. Just drink more water. And do these all at the same time. And ask God to heal you and bring strengthening. I often pray for people. I say, God, I don't care the mechanism through which you heal. I don't care if it's, an, it's a correct diagnosis that leads to medication, if it's a miraculous situation where they wake up tomorrow and everything's fine, if it's they amend certain patterns in their life and kind of slowly move into great. I don't, I don't care the mechanism God uses to restore us to strength and f- spiritual vibrancy, God. I just want you to do it and help them to be a willing um, participant in that. Christianity itself is a deliverance ministry. So here's what I would encourage you to do. Identify a really serious, persistent problem or issue in your life. Could be depression, could be some kind of struggle with a mental illness, could be a relationship issue, could be addictive behavior, destructive habit, uncontrollable emotion, blockage in a certain relationship. Just identify it, hold it in your mind's eye. You don't have to share it with anyone. And what I would do at some point today is I would just put out on a little piece of paper, heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I would invite you just to think through some of these questions. So at the level of heart and relationships, have I carved out time in my schedule to just have fun with friends? Have I reached out to a counselor or therapist for kind of a sort of a tune-up? Have I been avoiding people or isolating myself? What steps could I take to reverse this drift? So we're just trying to get a sense of what are blockages of just healthy inputs relationally in my life? On the level of soul, how is my social media engagement affecting this particular situation? How's my prayer life at the moment? Maybe I do need to learn different ways of praying. Maybe I need to mix things up. Maybe I need to have a prayer theme. What adjustments need to be made? as I walk through the situation? Maybe I need to be journaling. Uh, Am I giving, am I setting aside quiet space to just reflect on the patterns that are destructive in my life and asking God to bring me understanding in terms of what's happening there? Right? In the level of of mind and our, our Christian understanding of worldview and scriptures. What lies of the enemy have I come to believe about myself or this issue? How's the enemy slandering me as I wrestle with this problem? What does God's word have to say about this? Have I been um, really digging into God's word during this time? What promises of God am I leaning on? What scriptures am I 
working to memorize as I walk through these difficult waters? And the level of strength, what small steps can I take to positively impact what I'm eating or drinking? What small steps can I take to be more active? What small ste steps can I take to get deeper and more consistent rest? What medical professionals could I read it, reach out for, for advice or counsel? Or again, just kind of a tune-up, see where things are at. So we take a bit of an inventory out of recognition that we are complex creatures and the problems that, we're often, that often entangle us are complex in nature and they need to be addressed across a number of dimensions. Not perfectly and maybe not all at once. Maybe you're gonna, in this list, you're gonna say two or three things and say, I'm gonna start there this week. That's awesome. But we give up trying to find the one thing that's just gonna be a cure-all and instead say, Jesus, how do, can I further amend my life to lean deeper into your power and your grace so that I can um, drink from your living waters and sustain myself through your power? And then we just create a little plan of manageable next steps, not solutions. We don't know if these are all solutions. We don't know where it's going to come from or what interaction. You, don't, you can relieve yourself of the responsibility of having to figure it out. You just say, this week, I'm going to drink more water. I'm going to be in bed at 9 o'clock. I'm going to shut off social media. And I'm going to be praying through this particular passage every day two or three times. That's what I'm going to do. And the whole time saying, God, help me. Help me, God. That's going to be the posture of my heart, humility and openness. And so spiritual warfare is real. You cannot read Ephesians 6 without coming to that conclusion. But we should guard against the temptation to attribute all of our struggles maybe even most of our struggles, to simply demonic attack. Standing firm and strengthening ourselves in the Lord is not a simplistic reduction that essentially is synonymous with, we'll just pray more and read your Bible more. It's about learning to amend our entire lives increasingly around Jesus and his God's truth. And that's why a Christian who wants to stand firm and wants to be strengthened is going to seek to nurture health across as many dimensions as possible so that they can stand firm in Christ. Let's pray. God, we need your help. We are very bad at self-diagnosis but you are the great physician. And as, as we bring to you the problem and maybe different areas that we've been neglecting, whether it's prayer or community support or medication or therapy, God, would you just, by your Holy Spirit, really cause to stand out those things that we need to be prioritizing? Maybe there's a lot, there's a lot of layers of our life that are not aligned to where you would want, and it's just overwhelming. And we can't take 15 steps, even the first steps, in 15 different directions, but would you just show us one or two things that we can do this week, not because they're a silver bullet, but because they are the first steps of bringing health and spiritual vibrancy across the board into our life. Would you help us, God? Would you teach us wisdom to never over-exaggerate the influence of the demonic in our lives, but to also not dismiss it? but instead to be integrating habits of health and spiritual, um, spiritual health and vibrancy uh, into our lives.
We need your help in this way, Jesus. I commend myself and our church to your care in this way. Lead us, Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks, Jeff. Please stand for our response song. <laughs>